All right, well, good morning. My name is Doug. I'm the campus pastor here at Parkview East, and it's a joy to have you worship with us this morning. Thank you. Um, uh, as Doug mentioned, we are walking through, as a church, we're walking through the book of Mark. And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to take them out, open them up. We're in Mark chapter 4. Um, you can open them. If you do not have a Bible, the words aren't going to be on the screen, but we have some Bibles that we could pass around. So if you need one this morning, um, you, you, there's not somebody near you, just raise your hand and somebody will bring a Bible to you. Okay, so Mark chapter 4, verse 35 is where we're going to start. And this morning we're going to look primarily, we're going to be looking at two stories, two stories that are beautiful, um, awesome stories of the power of Jesus. And so start off in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and I'm going to read through verse 20. So it's kind of a, a bigger chunk here this morning. Mark 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he took, uh, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd, numbered by about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned by the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed with demons, who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. But he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. 
Father God, Lord, as we consider um, these two stories, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon your people this morning the power and the glory and the love that comes in your name, Father. I pray that we would see it. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears that hear and eyes that see this morning, Lord. And I pray that this power, this loving power, would be a power that your people this morning would know. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, Ralph Ellison in his literary classic, Invisible Man, has a, a quote. His quote says, um, Power doesn't have to show off. Power is confident, self-assuring, self-starting, and self-stopping, self-warming, and self-justifying. When you have it, you know it. Raph Ellison's work, Invisible Man, was a, was a book that had many themes that were spread throughout the book on race and identity and this issue of power. What we see in these two stories this, this morning that we're looking at is ultimately Jesus giving his disciples a lesson on power. A lesson on power. The theme for this morning is simply power. In the first story, we see Jesus at the height of his popularity. Crowds have forced him in a boat out at sea. He was teaching, and he couldn't even teach on land. He had to put out on a boat so that people could see and people could hear him. The crowds were everywhere. They wanted to hear what this teacher was saying. They wanted to see what this miracle worker was doing. And he was on that boat, and he taught one parable after another. And when he finished his teaching, Jesus directs the disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Let us go across to the other side, he says. Now, this would not be unusual. Oftentimes in that day, fishermen would find themselves fishing at night intentionally to get away from the storms. But as they set out, a sudden wind, a massive storm comes out of nowhere. And it sends waves crashing into the boat. Water begins to fill the boat. You can imagine the scene as the disciples panic and begin to bail water out of the boat. All the while, Jesus is sleeping in the stern on a cushion. On a cushion. The men run over. They wake him up. And they ask, do you not care? We are about to die. We're getting ready to meet our fate, Jesus. And you are asleep on a cushion. Jesus wakes up and just speaks a few simple words. Peace, be still. And immediately the wind ceases and the waves stop. Calm has been restored. He turns to his disciples, his men, and he says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And the, the men how do they respond? In fear. They're even more terrified. See, anyone who has ever tried to live the life of faith can relate to these men that night in the boat. There are times in our life where everything seems to be going wrong. You look at your life and you feel like you are sinking. Meanwhile, you find yourself asking the question, where is God? He's absent. He is not speaking now. He is not healing now. Where is 
God. Like the disciples, there are many times you find yourself calling out, if you loved me, you wouldn't be letting me go through this. That's the journey that we walk as a people of faith. In many ways, is pictured here that night in a boat. What is so fascinating about this first story is that as terrified as the disciples were in the middle of the storm, they're even more afraid when the wind stops and the sea was calm. See, they recognize that for as powerful as the storm was outside of the boat, the man in the boat was even more powerful. The power of the storm was met by the power of Jesus, and they were terrified. Jesus recognizes their fear, and he asks them, have you still no faith? See, what's the difference between the power of the storm and the power of the Savior? There's a difference. There's a big, big difference. Both powers, by our means, are unmanageable. We cannot manage the storm and we cannot manage the Savior. Both powers are outside of our control. But what is the difference between the powers? Well, the difference is that the storm doesn't love you. The storm doesn't care about you. Jesus, Jesus is infinitely more powerful than nature. But in Jesus' power, his power is a loving power. What follows next is a beautiful portrait of Jesus' loving power on display. See, the boat is drawing now near to the other side, and the, begin, the men begin to hear the shrieks and the moaning coming from the shore. Remember, these men are fishermen. They are familiar with these waters. And as they approach the shore, these shrieks, these moans, these, these screams that they hear are ones that they're familiar with. They've heard them before. It is no doubt a frightening sound. And they're thinking, no, Jesus, not there. We're not going to that shore. This is Gentile territory, right? This is enemy territory. We have no business bringing our boat to shore here. These people are not like us, Jesus. In fact, these people were unclean. They would be unclean socially. If they stepped on the banks, they would instantly be unclean. They can't afford to interact with these people. But that is exactly what Jesus has in mind. The story of this demoniac, the demon-possessed man, is a pretty amazing story of redemption. This is a story filled with all kinds of interesting things, right? This demon-possessed man, pigs committing mass suicide. I, I mean, it's the first time I've heard that one. And we can be tempted to get carried away with some of these things. But the focus of our passage this morning will remain on the loving power of Jesus. Though we may not know the effects of sin as dramatically as the demoniac this night, my hope is to show you that you and I have more in common with this man than we may think. In some ways, the story of the demoniac is my story, and it's your story as well. 
What Mark is showing us is though we are broken and hurting because the sin and the effects of sin in our life, by his loving power, Jesus is ready and he's able to rescue us. He's ready and able to heal, to help, and to restore us. The story teaches us three glorious truths about the loving power of Jesus. It shows us that in his power, he pursues us, that in his power, he renews us, and that it is in his power that he values us. So first, we see that this is a power that pursues if there is one thing that's clear in this text is that this man could not be further from Jesus. Verse 1, we learn that they come to the shore, to the land of the Gerasenes, and immediately they are met by a man who lived among the tombs, makes his home among the dead. He lives in a cemetery. Think about this. If there is a place on earth, think about a place on earth that you would avoid going to at all costs. I'm sure many of us have them. Maybe it's the mall. I don't know, okay? Or Target, maybe, is your place. Or Walmart on a Sunday night. I don't know. Okay, maybe you've got a place that you would avoid. In this day, during this time, this was, there was no business for a first century Jew to cross onto this shore. No business. This was Gentile land. They were socially, culturally different. And just their presence in that place would make them unclean. They had no business being there. This place that they lived was a so the land was unclean and the specific area that they were walking to was unclean it was a cemetery and the Jews during this time had very specific instructions for how they were to treat the dead they couldn't go into the cemetery unless they were burying a loved one and even afterwards there was a ritual process for cleansing they had no business being in a cemetery this man meets them and he has an unclean spirit we are told he lived there he was so strong that nobody was able to restrain him or subdue him. No matter the shackles or the handcuffs or the chains they put on him, he would break them. They could not subdue this man. And while he was there, he would cry out at night in pain and in misery while cutting himself with stones. This man approached them on the shore naked and bloody. He was the definition of a hot mess that night. He was completely completely somebody that you would have no business interacting with, especially a rabbi, especially a man who claimed to be a teacher of God's word. He would have no business interacting with this man. No business. It was an unclean land. It was an unclean area. And it was an unclean soul. Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? And remember that it was Jesus in the first place who set out towards this direction. This is exactly where Jesus directs the boat. Let's go, he says, before the storm, let's go to the other side. Jesus is in pursuit of this man. He left the familiarity of his community, of his tribe, and he pursued that which was different. Jesus enters into this man's story. Jesus enters into this man's pain. Now, I don't know what you bring here into this room this morning, but no matter how foreign, no matter how distant, no matter how far you are from Jesus, this story serves as an awesome, awesome reminder that you can never be too far, you can never be too messy, you can never be too distant for Jesus. Jesus 
is not afraid of your mess. Jesus is not afraid of your past. Your past is not so dark that Jesus would go the other direction. In fact, what this story shows us, what it reveals to us about the glorious nature of Jesus is that he sees the darkness in our hearts and Jesus heads directly towards them, directly towards them. He's not afraid of our brokenness or of our sin. He doesn't run away from us. He draws near to those who are broken. These are the people that Jesus pursues, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, men like we see here. You can never be too bad for our Jesus. This is also shows us really Jesus fulfilling a plan that was set in place all the way back from the beginning of Scripture, a plan for God to set sinners free from every single nation, from every tribe and from every tongue. Up until this point, remember, Jesus' ministry has been primarily focused on people who look like Jesus, who talk like Jesus, who wear clothes like Jesus, whose skin color looks like Jesus. But for the first time, Jesus crosses over into a territory that is different culturally from his. And Jesus sets this man free, and we'll find out he also sets this man on mission, ultimately to capture and to fulfill the grand mission of God in this book. This is one story of a much larger story of what is happening here. We see that this power that Jesus possesses is a power that pursues. The next thing we learn about his power, his loving power, is it's one that pursues, but it's also one that renews. Next we see that Jesus' power renews and restores, it transforms. So this man, recognizing who Jesus is, comes and throws himself at the feet of Jesus and says, my name is, Jesus asks him, what's your name? He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. This was obviously, this is a, a, a Roman word, a word that would have talked about 6,000 men in the Roman military. And so the, the, the idea here is obvious. This man is, is wildly possessed by many, many, many de demons. And notice how Jesus responds. In the same way that Jesus brought calm and peace to the sea, Jesus simply speaks a word and he restores peace and calm to this man's life. All the demons, we are told, come out of him. And the next image we see of this man in scripture is an image of him sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. The man was naked, now he's clothed. He was wild, bleeding, unable to be controlled. Jesus comes into his life, and through his loving power, he completely transforms and renews him back to his right mind. What an amazing picture of what Jesus is able to do in our lives. An encounter with Jesus has totally rewritten this man's story. And so have you encountered this Jesus. I think one way we can ask ourselves and say, okay, yes, we've encountered him is if we can look at our life and we can legitimately see a difference before, from when we, before we knew Jesus to when we met him to now this is what we look like, right? We see his spirit at work in our life. We see evidence. We are a life that is now bearing fruit in our character, but also bearing fruit in, in the way that we share our message and this love with those around us. There is a difference in this man. And if you have met Jesus, you should be able to point, others should be able to point at your life and be able to see a difference. It should look different. 
And it's a reminder for us that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live in this world, but we are not called to live of this world. We are a people who live completely differently, completely different. The life that he has called us to is a life that this world looks at. I love the picture at the end of the story. When he goes back to his friends, when he goes back to his family, they look at this man. And remember, they've abandoned him. They have, they tried to chain him. They tried to control him, subdue him, and he broke the chains. He was relocated. Our dude was tucked into the corner of a cemetery to live among the dead. They had written him off. He was no good to them anymore. And he goes back and their eyes, could you imagine him walking into his family's home? The very family that wrote him off. And for them to see him walk in with his polo and his khakis, <laughs> right? And his wingtips on his feet. Could you, a little comb over maybe, nice little fade going on. Walks in and his family's like, whoa. And the Bible says, they marveled at what had been done. They marveled. The same should be true of us, right? People should have, know what our life looks like without Jesus. Maybe some of your friends and family know all too well what your life looked like before you met Jesus. And they should see the, the power of the gospel played out in our life. And their response should be, whoa, what is going on? This is a new, new person others of us maybe today we are here and this is a good reminder for us that there is maybe people in your life who you have prayed for who you have cried for who you have spent time after time after time investing in pointing to the gospel leading them towards Jesus and there's no fruit and there's no repentance and there's no faith and it can be easy to be discouraged and to write them off and to shackle them and and try to send them into the cemetery and to forget about them. There's no hope. This is an awesome reminder. Don't stop crying for those people. Do not stop praying for those people. If Jesus can, can release this man from the dead, really, he can do so much. He can do so much more for us. It's an awesome reminder of the power of him and display. Don't give up. Next thing we learn about, the last thing that we learn about this power, this unique loving power of Jesus is that it is a power that values or that affirms his people. We learn his, his power values people. Notice how others in the community respond by the newfound freedom of this man. It's actually rather unfortunate. You would expect that a man as terrifying as this for him to be renewed restored, transformed, put back into his right mind. A, a citizen who can contribute to society. You would expect for people, to a party to be thrown, right? Hugs for them to embrace this man. For them to high fives all around. Woohoo, this is awesome. That's what you would expect. But instead, that's, that's not what happens. Instead they become upset with Jesus Many in the town become upset with Jesus and they beg him to leave town. Imagine that. These people just saw radical transformation, redemption before their very eyes. And they go to the man that redeemed, restored, transformed, and they say, leave. There's no place for you. Leave. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Why would they ask Jesus to leave? I'll tell you why. 
Because if you remember in the story, Jesus took the demons out of the man and he threw them into the pigs. The pigs committed mass suicide. All you pork farmers and eaters out there, I know this is a hard message for you, but they all died in the sea. You couldn't eat the meat. It was unfortunate, right? Now, in Jewish land, they didn't eat pigs. It was against the law. But in Gentile land, pigs meant money, okay? Pigs equal cheddar, all right? That's the way it worked. And so when these people saw the pigs run off the cliff, fall into the sea, drown and dead, what they see is a loss of money. There is economic devastation here. And they chase Jesus away. Don't let that happen again, Jesus. Don't let that happen again, Jesus. When they see what he did, all they can think about is how that will impact their pocketbooks. See, these people, to these people, this man simply wasn't worth it. He had no value to him. No value at all. To help this man, it, was, it proved to be extraordinarily expensive. It cost them, and he wasn't worth it. He wasn't worth the time. This man wasn't worth the money. No value. But to Jesus, this man was worth it. He was completely worth it. To, this, to Jesus, this man was valuable. So much value, in fact, that when the man saw Jesus getting into the boat, he begged him, can I come with you, Jesus, right? This radical transformation took place in his life. And just like you or me, we would want to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and never leave, okay? Because he knew, he knew what his life looked like before. He now knows what it looks like. And that's, he doesn't want to leave Jesus, the source of this transformation. But Jesus' response is how valuable this man was. Jesus' response to him was, no, don't step foot in my boat. Absolutely not. You, go home, tell your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. See, Jesus sees this man as so incredibly valuable that not just does he redeem and renew him, he sends him on mission, right? He saves him so he can send him to be a witness for him. He sees this man as an incredible asset, a valuable member of his team in making God's excellencies proclaimed throughout the entire world. He valued, he valued him so much, he entrusted him with one of the greatest responsibilities he could have given him to proclaim his wonderful works to those who do not know him. He sets this man on mission. Jesus sees this man very differently than how the others view him. He comes to him, and for the first time in a long time, Jesus says, you, my friend, you are worth it. Whatever the cost, you are worth it. To Jesus, he was totally and completely worth it. And as we continue to read throughout the book of Mark, we will see that as the chapters progress, as the story moves along, that eventually what's going to happen is Jesus will essentially trade places with the demoniac. Eventually, Jesus himself, he will be the one who is abandoned and alone. He will be the one who is chained and restrained. 
His friends, Jesus' friends, eventually, we know, we learn, will leave him. Even his father will abandon him. And Jesus will find himself, later on through the book of Mark, Jesus will find himself outside the city among the dead. He will be cut. He will be bleeding, left to die. However, he is not enduring all of that simply for the demoniac. See, the, great, the awesome story of the, the message of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't just trade places with the demoniac. What he offers us is to trade places with each one of us. See, this is our story. This is our story. In the same way that Jesus pursued and renewed and valued this man, he's pursuing some of you even right now. Some of us may not know Jesus. And maybe just evidence of you being in this room is a sign of Jesus pursuing you right now. He renews us. He values us. He offers us. In the same way he loosened the chains on this man, he offers every one of us freedom. See, the only way to reverse the effects of sin and evil and death and to restore and to renew us is for someone to take our place. Jesus is that someone. And that's exactly what he does. He takes our place. And he lives the life that you and I should have lived and dies the death that we deserve on the cross. He takes your place and he takes my place. He endures the full wrath of the Father for you and for me. And in the exact same way Jesus pulls this man in and sends to send him out, he does the same thing for us. He invites us to taste and see the glories of how good and wonderful he is so that we can go and knock on doors with cookies that we have baked and share those with our neighbors and tell them about the good news of this loving power that has come into our lives and has radically transformed us so that we can go out and tell the world. That's what he does. It's an amazing, an amazing story. And here at Parkview East, when we just consider what our vision is, what our hope is for this people, for this church, is that we would be, that we would exist to help people experience the hope and the healing power of this story. That the story of the demoniac would become their story. That's the reason that we are here. To take what Jesus has done for us and to extend it to those around it, to those of us who may work with people who don't know Jesus, maybe in our neighborhoods, our family, or our friends, that we would put his glorious works on display and we would hope that they would step back and they would marvel at his loving, loving power. Now, this morning, as Douglas mentioned earlier, we have baptism. And for us, this is an opportunity to celebrate the newness of life that has come in to this people. And I'm going to just say this right now. If, if there's several people who are lined up to get baptized, um, but we would love, if you have not experienced the loving power of Jesus, if to this more, up until this morning this is a foreign or a different concept to you, we would love to extend the invitation for you to receive it and to know it even this morning. And so we do have a number of folks who are lined up to get baptized, but we would love it. It would be awesome if there are more people who would say, you know what, I want to put on display the work that God has done in my life. Maybe you've been a believer for years and you haven't taken this step in obedience. 
There's no reason to wait. There's no reason to wait. This is an awesome opportunity to take advantage of, right? He calls us to do this, to put his power on display for others to see the newness that has come into our life. And so if that's you, maybe you haven't planned to get baptized. We got a backup plan. We got shorts, we got shirts, and we want to invite you to, to consider that, okay? We're going to have communion right now. Uh, but if you feel like, you really feel like God's spirit is tugging on you either to get saved, like maybe you don't know the loving power at all and you want to receive that this morning, or if it's to, to put it on display through the, um, the act of, cell, of baptism, we would invite you that after I get done praying, we're going to take communion. And during that time, to just slip out in the back. And there's some folks that are back there who could kind of walk you through that process. Even if it's just to pray with you, we would offer that as well. So just because you walk through the doors doesn't mean at some point you're going to get, okay, but... You know, we'll just pray with you if that's what you want, all right? Just whatever the Spirit is putting on your heart and you want to respond to, we want to help you through that, okay? I'm going to pray for us, and then Douglas is going to come up and lead us in communion. Father God, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who, um, who pursues your people, Father. That even when we find ourselves at times running from you, Lord, you are hot on our t trails, Lord. And we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is completely in control, that you are all-powerful. And even though there's storms that may come in and out of our life, Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. And although we may not know this side of eternity why those storms existed, why we had to endure them, Lord, we can trust on the foundational level that because you are a God who loves us, um, that those storms were not meant to hurt us. And so, Lord, I pray right now just that you would um, continue to take the, the, the word, that you would work it into the hearts of your people, and that this would be encouragement for us throughout the week. Lord, but you would also show us um, steps throughout the week that we need to obey this and put this stuff into practice, Father. That we would not be a people who just come and hear and consume and listen, Father, but we would be a people who are transformed by the power of your word, Lord, that we might live in accordance with your will. We love you, and we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.